Tony should have checked with me before he committed us to half an hour. <laughs> Little did he know. Well, if X marks the spot, the place we need to be, which part of the X really marks the spot? Because that is the place, the point at which we must focus on most intensely. That's where it is that God would have us put our attention so that all the pieces work together properly. That's what we're going to see, I hope, this morning as we come to this passage. We're not actually going to look at a specific passage. We're going to look at the entirety of Deuteronomy chapter 31. So I'm not going to read that entire chapter for us right now. Instead, we're just going to be looking at verses as we make our way through it this morning. So instead of standing to hear the word read, let's just do this. We'll remain seated and let's just put our hands out like this uh, as a way to present ourselves to the Lord and indicate that we are receptive to the work of his spirit and the power of his word in us. So let's do this and, and pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you once again for time together in your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you, uh, spirit of God, that you are present with us and we pray that you would be our teacher this morning. Open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts and minds to understand your truth. And Father, we pray that you would transform us by your truth through the power of your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles open to Deuteronomy chapter 31. I want to ask us to look first this morning at chapter, at verse 9. Just the first part of it. We read there these words. So Moses wrote down this law. This is the first mention that Moses is the author of Deuteronomy. And whether this law refers to the entirety of the book or just the part of the law that that Moses used for his preaching series, which is what Deuteronomy is, it's not clear and it doesn't really matter. Because conservative scholars agree that Moses is the author of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. A really solid defense of that is going to have to wait for another time, except for me to just say this. Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse 46, If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Now, that's a pretty powerful endorsement, right? For, for Moses, Moses' authorship, Jesus himself endorses him. So Moses is the author. We also know this when we, when we look at this passage, that Moses had a very specific purpose for writing what he wrote. So now if you look with me in verses 10 and 11, it says, Then Moses commanded them, the, the priests and the elders, at the end of every seven years, In the year for canceling debts, during the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, you shall read this law before them in their hearing. So now we have this commission that's before Moses. Moses, you write this law. Write this law that's going to be read aloud and heard by all the people. Heard by all the people. Now, when my wife receives a commission to do a painting, 
she usually begins by asking questions like, where will this painting hang? What kind of room? Will it be a formal living room? Will it be a den? Tell me why you've chosen this picture for me to paint. What part of this picture is really important to you? Why does it speak to you? And so there is a series of questions that she asks. When all of her questions have been answered and she has clear direction, then she goes up into her studio. I like to say studio because it sounds better than the bedroom our son vacated a few years ago. But she goes to the studio, she closes the door, she turns on her music, she puts a blank canvas on the easel, and she begins to paint. I like to think about Moses similarly, because he has this commission given to him by the Lord. And at some point, Moses had to get alone in his tent or somewhere and begin this daunting commission of writing the law of God. There's a blank scroll in front of him. There's a pen in his hand, a quill in his hand, and he had to begin to write. But we know this. When Moses wrote, he was not alone. Scripture tells us for prophecy, which is what this is, never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What does carried along look like? Is it something like, well, Moses, you go ahead and start writing, but I'm right here. I'm carrying you. You're in my hands. I'll make sure there are no mistakes. I don't, I don't know. Did Moses have a rough draft with a bunch of strike throughs? What process did God allow? What, if any, changes did Moses make as he wrote? What, if any, material did Moses rearrange before he had his finished product? I don't know the answers to any of those questions. I know what I like to picture. I like to picture Moses bent over his scroll, writing, pausing to pray, Lord, what next? Writing some more, pausing to pray, Lord, there's so much to tell about you and your goodness and your glory and your greatness and your grace. What do I include? What do I leave out? There's so much. But maybe I'm completely wrong in all of this. Perhaps this was not a burden at all. Maybe the thoughts and the ideas flowed so quickly that Moses could not keep up with the flood of truth going through him. I, I don't know. But what we know is that this word is from God. It is from God, commissioned by him, and it's for his people. And so we can look at what's in our hands. This finished product, we're holding it this morning. And know that Moses kept the purpose of his commission always before him. He remembers that what he writes is to be read And what is read is to be heard, heard by the people. And so Moses writes what he writes in such a way that people will be able to remember the word that they heard. It goes without saying that before the days of the printing press, every tent did not have the word of God. They didn't gather the family around the table at night with a lantern and read the word of God. 
At that time, truth was passed on orally. You had an opportunity to hear the word, but then you had to remember what you heard. You know, what do we do today? Oh, honey, what's in Deuteronomy 15? Oh, I don't know. Let me see. And you pull out your phone. In 10 seconds, you have the answer to your question. Not an option. Not an option for them. They could discuss the word, but only to the extent that they could remember the word they had heard. All right, so now let's think about chapter 31 as a whole for a moment. For the most part, chapter 31 contains the last portion of prose. It's the last bit of narrative, of action, of instruction in the book of Deuteronomy. Chapter 32 is going to uh, record the song that Moses composes. Chapter 33 records the poetic blessings that Moses pronounces on the different tribes. Chapter 34 uh, records the death of Moses, the end. Do you know how close we are? Who's getting excited? Woo! But chapter 31, it's the last bit of instruction for God's people on how to live well in the promised land. How to honor God there. How to bring glory to him. How to remain faithful to the promises to him and thereby become a blessing to those around them. The very same goals that you and I have as believers in Christ for our own lives and for our church. We know we must live well in this place, right? We know we must honor God in this place. We know we must bring glory to the name of Christ in this place. We know we must remain faithful to Christ here in this place. We must live well here. And in this way, we find blessing for ourselves. We find blessing for the city in which God has planted us. This is what we must do and what we shall do only through Christ. So all this to say that this last narrative chapter, this last bit of teaching has to be really, really memorable for the people of Israel. In this chapter, God has included everything they're going to need in the promised land to do what God has called them to do and to be what God has called them to be. If you look in this chapter, you see all these elements in it. There's the Ark of the Covenant. There's the tent of the meeting. There's the word of God, the presence of God, the call of God, the congregation of God's people, the priests and the elders. It's all here, all in chapter 31. But how is it that the people should order all of these very important elements? Which part of them should receive their focus? Which one of them should they remember most of all? Well, God has taken care of that. In the way that he inspired Moses to write this chapter, he's done it through the structure of this chapter. Now, let me say up front, this may seem a bit technical or tedious, what we're about to do. And dare I say the B word, boring. Y'all are up for the task, right? Right? So remember when you think, oh, Craig, this is so tedious. This is, come on, come on. Just remember that even the structure of this chapter, in it, God displays his love for us. God displays his desire that we live well in this land that he has placed us and all the blessings that accompany that. So, you ready? You ready? Here we go. 
This chapter is written in chiastic form. C-H-I-A-S-T-I-C. Chiastic form. And as non-riveting as that sounds, it's really very important. Because in the ancient world, devices like chiastic structures, they were used to help people remember what they did not have in their hand to read. It was all up here, all memory. And so let me explain this chiastic structure to you so, so that the teaching of this chapter can reach our hearts. Let's start with the A, B, Cs, literally. A is an idea, right? B is a, another idea. C is a, a third idea. So the chias, uh, the, the, this structure looks like this. A, B, C, B1, A1. Get it? Kind of, you get what's going on here? So what is written first and what is written last is the same idea. What is written second and what is written second to the last is another idea. And what is in the middle is a third idea. All right, you following along? So in a chiastic structure, what is most important is found right in the center. Now that's different than our way of thinking. In the West, we think what's most important is first or last. That's why we always work on the beginning and the end because we hope people will forget the middle. Well, it's just the opposite here, you know. And so our approach, first and last, can, can make us put the emphasis of a passage like this in the wrong place. You can always also think of it this way. Now, take it out, the insert in your bulletin, all right? Clearly, you don't belong to a megachurch, or you would never see this quality in your bulletin. <laughs> I did this myself, all right? So I hope this is where X marking the spot is going to make sense. X is the Greek letter called chi. That's why it's called chiistic structure, because it is an X. So you see here, don't you? You see the A and the B and the A1 and the B1. Everybody see that, right? Part of the structure. Notice this too. At the top of the X, A comes before B, but at the bottom of the X, B comes before A, right? Because all the truth in this structure is important, but all the truth works together to get to this point in the middle, the C point, right? So now let's look at the structure, this structure of chapter 31. Everybody still awake? Everybody still awake? All right. Let's start with the A idea. The A idea would be Moses talking to the entire congregation of God's people. This is the emphasis, the congregation of God's peoples. And it's in verses 1 through 8. So look in verse 1. Then Moses went out and spoke these words to all Israel. There's our idea for A. The B idea then comes in verses 9 through 13. And here Moses is speaking to the Levites about the book of the law and the Ark of the Covenant. So look in verse 9. So Moses wrote down this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to all the elders of Israel. And so the emphasis is on the word, the Ark, the priests. Now, that's B idea. Let's go to B1 because we're backing out of it now. Moses is again speaking to the Levites about the book of the law. This section is verses 24 through 29. So look with me in verse 24. After Moses finished writing in a book the words of this law 
from beginning to end. He gave this command to the Levite, carried the Ark of the Covenant. So you see, it's the same idea repeated again. Now let's move on and out to A1. Moses is again speaking to the entire congregation of the people. Look in verse 30. And Moses recited the words of this song from beginning to end in the hearing of the whole assembly of Israel. And so once again, we have this emphasis on the congregation. So both of these truths, A and A1 and B and B1, are really, really important for the people to live well in the land. A, the people of God, corporately, together, sometimes getting it right, often getting it wrong. It's a vital element. It's a blessing of God for his people, other people, a congregation of people, really important. B, the word of God, vitally important to us. We cannot live well in this land apart from the word of God. Do you believe that? And so here God ensures that his word is going to be cared for and preserved and passed on from one generation to the next and the next and the next. So all of this is important. The congregation of God's people, the word of God. But what idea, what truth is at the very center of the X? The C idea that marks the spot in the middle of the X. The truth that God wants his people to really, really remember to help them live really, really well in the land. Look in verse 15. Here we find the C idea, the center of the X, and the center of a chapter with 30 verses. Verse 15 says this. Then the Lord appeared at the tent in a pillar of cloud, and the cloud stood over the entrance to the tent. Here it is, the heart of all of it, the one and only true and living God dwelling with his people here on earth. That pillar of cloud was the presence of God. It was the glory of God. And in some way, this pillar of cloud, when it appeared, as it so often does, In this part of scripture, settling over the tent of the meeting, it so radiated the glory of God. You remember the story that Moses' face glowed. It glowed from being in the presence of God when the pillar of cloud was present. And so what's the good news? That God and his glorious presence is not far from his people. He is here in the tent Meeting with Moses. Meeting with Joshua. Do you see why that's the center of the X? A and A1. The congregation. People are important. But if you haven't discovered this yet, people will fail you. You may be cut off from people. But guess what? Still, the presence of the Lord is with you, right? B and B1, the word of the Lord, it's vitally important. But you might be cut off from the word of the Lord. History has stories of times that that's been hap- when that's happened, when the word of God has been banned and inaccessible to God's people. But guess what? The presence of the Lord is still with you. This is what God does for his people. He shows up always. So what do we do? Look in verse 14, also part of this C idea. 
The Lord said to Moses, Now the day of your death is near. Call Joshua and present yourselves at the tent of meeting, where I will commission him. And so Moses and Joshua came and presented themselves at the tent of a meeting. If God's people want to be successful in the land, then they must remember this. They live their lives quorum Deo, before the face of God. He is present with them and they must present themselves before him every day. Moses, here I am, Lord, as you requested. Joshua, here I am, Lord, in the tent, as you requested. One of the most amazing aspects of scripture is its congruity. It's agreement in all its parts. Though written over the span of thousands of years, there's agreement. All points to the unchanging nature of God. The presence of God is a a given from beginning to end. But look at how his presence intensifies. Would you turn with me to Colossians chapter 2 verse 9? It's Sort of hard to find. Little short book about the middle of the New Testament. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9. Because here is the center of the X for us. Colossians 2 9. For in Christ... All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. It's Jesus. The fullness of God dwelling in the person of Christ. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. You can look that one up later or if you can turn quickly. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Christ is the visible manifestation of God. Not in the pillar of cloud, not in the tent, not in the tabernacle, not in the temple, but in the person of Jesus Christ. He is God's presence on earth. But Jesus didn't stay on earth, did he? He went away. But he said this, I tell you the truth. It's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when Jesus said this to his disciples, he had already told them that the counselor was the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, whom Jesus refers to as a him. He says the word The world cannot accept him, the spirit, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But listen, you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Is that good news? Come on. Here's the presence of God himself with us and in us. And what does the spirit do? Jesus tells us. The counselor The Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. 
he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. So the Holy Spirit is God's presence with you and with me. And his role is Christocentric, Christ-centered. He always points to Christ. And so what do we infer from this? Well, it's our need to be present with the God who is present with us through the power of his spirit. Moses, here I am, Lord. Joshua, here I am, Lord. You and me, here I am, Lord. This is how we're going to live well in this place. What's going to happen in your daily life when you present yourself to the Lord? Who's with you? You'll remember that there is no place that he is not. You'll remember that there is no time in which you do not need him. You'll start to think about the places that you are taking the Lord. You'll start asking some difficult heart questions. Do I want the Lord present here now? Do I want the Lord participating and partnering with me in this activity? And answering those questions because you are so aware of the presence of the, of the Lord within you will begin to have an impact on you and me. Where we go, what we do, the conversations we have. But even better, when we remember that the Lord is with me and in me. He, he's requested my presence before him. What is it? What is it? That the Lord and I together are going to accomplish. And then your goals start to change. What goals do I have in my life that are worthy of the Lord? I present myself to the Lord at my desk. I present myself to the Lord in my office. I present myself to the Lord in the classroom. I present myself to the Lord in my home. It sounds radical, presenting ourselves to the Lord always. And we might not be successful at it all the time or even often, but that doesn't change the fact that this is what's required. And it doesn't change the fact that this is what will bring success to our lives as individuals and corporately in this place where God has put us. Blessing is found when the center of this X, the spot here, the presence of God with his people. I'm going to start wrapping up. I want to demonstrate the reason that, that the center of the X is so important. And why we have to find the center of the X and see how everything works together for this one purpose. I have one more chiasm for you. Oh, goody, goody. Another chiasm. This one is from Matthew 6. And Jesus is speaking. And you know this, these verses. Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, 
or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Let's figure it out. So A, appearing at the beginning of the teaching is no one can serve two masters. A1, appearing at the very end of the statement is you cannot serve God and wealth. And so two masters corresponds with God and wealth. B comes next. For either he will hate the one, then be one, and despise the other. So hate and despise correspond, right? The C in the very center of the teaching is this. And love the other. C one is, or will be devoted to one. And so love and devotion correspond. This is the center of this teaching of Jesus, love and devotion. But listen, here's the thing. How often when we hear these verses uh, read or preached, do we conclude that they're all about choosing a master? That's really what this verse is all about. It's about choosing a master to serve. And so choosing and serving become the center. And both of those are highly important. But how many people do you know who serve God, but don't really love him. Jesus knew a few. He said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Serving, serving, serving. Then Jesus says, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So the focus of this passage Is not serving or choosing. The point of the passage is on loving the right master. Loving the Lord is what draws us to serve the Lord, not the other way around. The emphasis is on loving God. The choice to serve Him becomes the result of that love. And so my point is, look how just a little, being off just a little from center changes things significantly. Now, Turn over your X and you'll see this, P-C-A. This is our new denominational logo. For over 40 years, we had no denominational logo, never came up with one. But last June, this logo was adopted as our denominational logo. So what do I love about this? I love that the cross is central, right? So great. Here's the cross right in the center. I love it that you can see that there is an open book there, you know, uh, representing the Bible and and the emphasis that we have on the word of God. God is accessible through his word. By the word we know and we know the truth. Praise God for his word and, 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 and hallelujah as we sang for the cross. So I feel as if we have an A and a B in this logo, but not a C. Now, clearly, I'm no graphic designer, <laughs> hence this picture. And so I can't imagine the difficulty uh, of, of making uh, an image say everything. It can't be done. And so don't hear me as being critical. But the first thing I noticed when I looked at this, everything that I loved about it, I thought, well, there is no representation of the Spirit of God. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't believe in the Spirit of God. As a denomination. Neither do I mean to suggest that the Spirit is more important than the Son. No, the Spirit, along with the Father and the Son, are of the same substance 
equal in power and glory. Right? That's what the confession says because that's what Scripture teaches. We know too from Scripture that in all things Christ must have the supremacy. The Christ that told us that the Spirit is the gift from the Father to us that will point us to the Son. Now here are some responses, and we're so close to being finished, to the new logo. These are listed on our website. Cross and the Word. Centrality and authority of Scripture. PCA values. Christ, the Word, the world. Memorable, appropriate, timeless. Reflects history and values. Tells me who we are and what we believe. Firm foundation. Yes and amen to all of that. I agree. I agree. I embrace it all. Oh, I embrace it. I love it. Okay. But if we do not remember to represent the spirit in a logo, it's possible that we might not remember that he is present in our lives. Just being a little off of center. See, apart from this truth, we could become a denomination that keeps Christ central. Amen. That's founded on the word. Amen. But does not really practice the presence of God through the power of God and the spirit of God. The same spirit who raised again Christ from the dead. The X in this narrative Deuteronomy 31, the last bit of instruction and action before entering the promised land is the presence of God. Remember it, the presence of God. This is the reality that God wants his people to remember most. I am with you. Central to our lives must be the presence of God with us through his Holy Spirit, presenting ourselves to him Yielding to the Spirit, as Scripture says. Being filled by the Spirit, as Scripture commands. Not quenching the Spirit or His work in us. Relying on the Spirit to teach us and guide us and empower us. When people fail us, the Spirit is with us. When the written word is not near us, the Spirit is with us. In unplanned moments, when no one is near and the word is not near, God is present with us. We can be good people. Who do, 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 and serve, 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 and study, study, study. But when we don't factor in the Spirit and call on Him for the important role He plays in our lives, we will always be less than we should be. We'll be less successful in living in the land, less successful in being a blessing to others. Why should we be? Why should we be when God is present with us and in us through the Spirit? Who is God's gift to us? One so important that Jesus thought it best that he go away so that this gift could come to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And we can't even grasp the, the complexity of it. We, we focus on the words and the truth. And then we think, oh, beyond that, there's this structure Lord, that you put in place. It's also part of how you teach us and how you help us to remember what's really important in our lives because we, we forget what's important in life. So you've helped us, Lord, in this chapter, hone in and focus in 
intensely on what's really important. And what's really important, Lord, is that you are present with us and we thank you and we praise you for it. Forgive us for thinking we do not need you to be present with us. Forgive us for, for, for not believing, but for acting as if we believe that we can go it alone. Thank you, Lord. We're just fine. No, we are not. We need your presence. We need your power. Father, we need to present ourselves before you every day to live our lives. As the book says, practicing your presence, practicing the presence of God. Such good news for us, such a good gift to us, when it radically transforms our lives, empowers us to change, empowers us to be your force of change in this world as we take the good news of the gospel, empowered by the Spirit. It's the world that needs it. So, Father, help us to remember what's important, as you've shown us this morning, and to rejoice in your presence with us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.